Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is From Checker to Green, the podcast, all about racing as told by two lifelong race fans and from time to time, talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome everybody to episode 34. I am David Maudie alongside my colleague, Elliot Tardiff. Elliot, good evening. Good evening, sir. How is things down south? Well, things here in the Carolinas are uh, starting to warm up a little bit. I know they were in the Northeast there for um, a brief period of time too. Uh, The warmth hasn't left here, thankfully. We're still sitting in the 60s and 70s to round out the month of February. So uh, once again, I think the uh, the groundhog may not necessarily have gotten it right this time, but that's, I think, to everybody's, well, most everybody's relief down here. So um, beyond that, enjoying all of the racing thus far this season. How about you? Well, I got to say one thing. The groundhog may have not got right down there, but I think you got it right up here. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, we got hit with a winter storm today. A uh, little sleep mixed into it. So when I went out shoveling, I could tell um, it was more pellet-like. So uh, we had about five inches of snow today, but yeah, it fell overnight, but kids are on break. So that ended up being pretty good, um, yeah, except for, you know, a play, um, you know, couple schools um, up in the Adirondacks, Old Forge area actually had a two hour delay today. They were on break. So, but yeah, a little snow, um, you know, but did enjoy the weather. You know, the 50 degree day and the snow melon and Monday, I finally had gone down my Christmas decoration. So, oh, nice. That, yeah, that was a plus. Um, racing season. <laughs> yep. Well, let's talk about it. Um, let's jump right into the checkered segment and let's talk about the start of the 2022 NASCAR season, the points paying start to it, the Daytona oh, yeah. 500. And this was. Um, this was certainly a race that was hyped up to be something special with a new car, new tires, um, new lots of things, and uh, lots of headlines going into it. And this race did not disappoint. So oh, let's yeah. uh, let's go ahead and and go through the rundown here real quick. Yeah. Um, so this was a um, for most intents and purposes, a fairly tidy race for the first couple of stages. There were a couple of, um, a couple of notable accidents in the first two stages. The first of which was on lap 42, according to racingreference.info. Uh, that was when, uh, the 50 car, uh, that's the, uh, the money team of Kaz had a wheel come off, uh, and in the ensuing caution and slowdown to it, the number two of Austin Sindrick hit the back of the 14 of Chase Briscoe and sent the 14 car sliding through the turn one and turn two apron. Thereafter, it was a multi-car wreck on the backstretch on lap 64, uh, most notably Harrison Burton, the rookie for the Wood Brothers, uh, ending up on his lid after contact from the six of Brad Keselowski. That would not be the last time that the six car found himself in the conversation about a wreck on the day. 
Uh, Martin Truex Jr. took the uh, stage wins for stage one and stage two. In the third stage, that was when business predictably picked up and there was a wreck on lap 152 with the number eight of Tyler Reddick getting out of shape and taking out the 19 of Truex, 22 of Logano with damage to uh, the 22, the 27, the Hesseberg Motorsports entry of Jacques Villeneuve and the 45 of Kurt Busch. The latter three continued on. Correction, everyone except for the number eight of Reddick continued on in the race. I was going to say he had some heavy damage in that. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time AMR, I mean, by the time AMR, AMR safety crew came, I, you know, I saw that, that he had, um, you know, he was trying to get him to push him out. And then I think he just, you know, tried to get going and he just couldn't go. It was done. Yeah. That was that wreck. And then with eight to go, uh, there was a, a big wreck on the front stretch. Um, that took out the four of Kevin Harvick. Uh, Kyle Larson got a piece of this one. Um, the Beard Motorsports entry for Noah Gregson took a hard hit into the trioval wall, as did the 38 of Todd Gilland. And the 43, as well as the nine, both went spinning as well. Um, and then with four to go, uh, there was um, one more crash on the day. Um, at least during uh, that brought out a, a caution. And that was the uh, 47 car going around off a of turn four off the front end of the six of Brad Keselowski. And this one also uh, took out the other RFK car of Chris Busher, the 17 car. Coming to the checkers, it was a frenetic finish um, uh, with the two Penske cars of Austin Sendrick in the two, Ryan Blaney in the 12. Uh, the main players and showing uh, a lot of strength, Kyle Busch um, alongside uh, Bubba Wallace in the 23 car. Uh, they were showing a lot of strength as well. Um, and then um, Chase Briscoe, who had um, fought valiantly to come back from, from the spin and then um, ensuing uh, troubles, falling off of the losing the draft and nearly going a lap down, I believe at the end of stage two, um, rallying back to be a part of the finish at the end of it. Um, but the Team Penske cars showing incredible discipline and uh, teamwork with the 12 who restarted that last restart with a couple laps to go on the inside and the two of Cindric starting on the outside. Um, Cindric was able to jump down into the bottom lane and uh, take the pushes from Ryan Blaney over the last couple of laps to stay out ahead of the field, even as Blaney and others wrecked behind him coming to the checkers and held off Bubba Wallace to win the 64th running of the Daytona 500. The first win for the number two team, the second Daytona 500 win for Roger Penske, the other being 2008 with Ryan Newman with the two car of Kurt Busch pushing the 12 to the win in that race. Bubba Wallace finished a very close second with Chase Briscoe coming home third. Ryan Blaney finished fourth while slapping the wall. Eric Almirola 
in his last season with Stuart Haas Racing, finished fifth. Kyle Busch took a beat-up car from the Stage 1 wreck with Harrison Burton and brought it home sixth. Michael McDowell, your defending Daytona 500 champion, finished seventh. David Reagan, also while crashing, finished eighth. Brad Keselowski brought it home ninth. And Chase Elliott rounded out the top ten. Other notice, uh, notable finishers, um, Jacques Villeneuve in his Heseberg Motorsports number 27, finished 22nd on the day, three laps off the pace. Alex Bowman, 24th. Um, the Spire Motorsports entries of LaJoy and Castle brought it home 14th and 15th, respectively. Austin Dillon, 25th. Kevin Harvick, 30th. Kyle Larson, your reigning Cup Series champion, finished 32nd, um, out after 190 laps with a crash. Um, Greg Biffle, the other uh, open entry, number 44 for New York Racing, uh, had a fuel pump issue early on and finished 36th, many laps off the pace. And Denny Hamlin finished 37th, and Ross Chastain, last place finisher on the day, uh, finishing 40th in the number one for track house racing. David, your thoughts on this race. I gotta say, you know, when we, we were talking about last episode and everything going into it, we talked about the blue ovals, the Fords just being dominant during the duels and it, they showed it. I mean, they were dominant all day. It was right from the beginning. It was blue oval dominance at Daytona and it and it ended that way and and Cindric I mean you know to get your first cup win this year and you're locked into the playoffs you're in um you know you win Daytona you know it's amazing I mean it's just like you know last year McDowell's first win was Daytona so we are on a good streak of first time winners at Daytona um you know Bubba Wallace came really close I mean he had um you know I think he had you know his up and down day but he kept in it Hendrick just wasn't dominant um and I, I got to say the, the whole wreck that occurred with um, Keselowski and Byrne, you know, my, my dad and I were, were talking about it and we're, we're questioning why he got easily turned upside down. Now, a lot of people were like, you know, roof flaps, everything. And it was just how he was hit. Um, it wasn't Keselowski turning him that caused him to get up look at the replay it was eric jones when jones got into his back end he got the wheels off the ground and i think just the underside now i think if you're going to get enough air under there i think it they can they may be going over a little bit easier but yeah it i mean it was just sad to see that happen harrison burn and it um you know i saw the the rock that that Cindric was in and I thought uh you know he's done and he bounced back 
Um, so yeah, a great race. Excellent. And, um, what a way to start off the season. And I, I, you know, we, we said last year Ford was having trouble and what a way to make a statement this year to say, Hey, we're back. Yeah. The, the rules last year, for whatever reason, um, um, didn't work in Ford's favor, generally speaking. Um, and with the new car this year, it's definitely, you know, with, and with the, um, with the general parody that um, we're seeing right now, just with everybody starting fresh, you know, uh, empty notebooks, it was going to give the Ford teams an opportunity to kind of erase any deficits in performance from last year. Yeah. And they certainly achieved that now. Uh, you know, the other manufacturers, they, they were no slashes and they, at, at the 500 either. It's worth remembering that the 19 of Truex won both stages and he got himself a couple of playoff and, points because of that. And, and, and the way he did it in the second stage was amazing. Yeah. I mean, he just edged out Logano and, um, I mean, to see, I mean, to see that, and we mentioned this, I mean, the duels, they, they got more spread out, but I, I think the race, they, they actually showed that they could get racy with, with each other, especially at the end, oh, yeah. um, it, which is good. Cause that, that was a concern I, I had going into Daytona was seeing how the duels were. I'm thinking, oh, are we going to get one of those, like how the tandem draft was years, you know, a few years ago, and they're just running. I mean, they're just all spread out of the place and it, it, it doesn't become a race, but I think it was real. I, I'm glad it got racy in the end. And I think it was really cool to see the outside line work in single car format. Yeah, I mean, you had a little bit of everything in this race. I mean, you yeah. had, um, you know, the the really hectic racing and the chaos towards the end, which I think was everybody kind of saw that coming because that's kind of been yeah the, the mo now. Um, but then, to your point, you also had a lot of you know logging laps, especially uh, during the middle stages, um, the early and middle stages of the race, where you had to be fast enough to keep up with the draft it's mm -hmm. it was proven it's much easier to lose the draft this year than in past years so um so you had to have the speed to keep up and then you had to have the luck um and the ability to avoid the wrecks to yeah. be a factor at the end and we certainly saw that with with some of the the cars that were here um but yeah, at the end of the day, it was a lot of a lot of Fords that found themselves at the front of the field at the end of this thing. Um, and you have to think too about Team Penske and how close that they have come in past years to winning the 500. Um, 2020, you had Ryan Blaney who said, I've, "I figured I wasn't going to win this race. I'm just going to push the six to the checkers and get a blue oval in victory lane." And yeah. we saw that go awry the way it did. 
And at the end of the day, he ended up losing the race anyway in a photo finish to Denny Hamlin. Last year, you had Team Penske cars 1-2 with half a lap left, and both of them ended up in the fence at the end of it with Tim Sindrick, excuse me, with Austin Sindrick, um, who was in an additional Penske entry uh, last year, also involved in that wreck. So there was definitely, I think, a lot of um, homework and a lot of consideration that went into this race. And they, and they, they said this afterwards, um, you know, they, they got together and said, okay, what are we going to do if we're in that situation again? And they said, okay, here's, here's what the plan is going to be. And they stuck to it to Ryan Blaney's detriment because, um, you know, he could have tried to race it out with a two at the end, but he didn't not until the very, very end when it was, you know, all but obvious that one, one of them was going to end up winning the race. And they said as much, you know, Blaney was, was pretty deflated afterwards, but because he thought he had a chance to win the 500, he had a fast mm-hmm. car, but he said, okay, I'm going to make the team play here and team Penske is going to win this race. And then and they did. And that was very smart. And I think that was really good. And, you know, to see Penske do well, um, I mean, he has, Penske probably has had some rough stretches lately. He's had rough stretches in IndyCar. He's had, you know, his rough stretches in NASCAR. So to see him to get back on, on the high horse at Daytona, I think it's going to be really good. And now he can go for that elusive let's win the Indy 500 this year. Yeah, it's definitely um, a, a possibility for him. It's, you know, 2022 yeah. is starting off good for him. And, you know, it was, it was his birthday on the day on Sunday yeah. as well. So um, and heck of a birthday present for him. And, and to see his, his um, right hand man, Tim Sindrick, to have Cindric's son win it, I think, was even much better. Yeah, that was pretty special. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bubba Wallace, to his credit, um, you know, nearly getting the win and with a, a damaged race car, no less, you know, his right front fender was gone as a result of that last uh, that last wreck yeah. um, that uh, caused an over the overtime finish. It was uh, the total race length was, was 201 laps instead of 200 going to an overtime finish. Um, And he was very um, bummed about the finish and not being able to get it done. But at the same time, Bubba Wallace, uh, now becoming a very accomplished plate racer and an accomplished Daytona 500 racer, having now two second place finishes in the great American race. So yeah. that's certainly a good start for him and for the 2311 team this year. And, you know, Kyle Busch, new car, new format, new everything. And you still see the 18 fast car, fast driver. They're going to make yeah. some noise this year too. I, I agree. So with that said, I think uh, that is about it for Daytona. What do you think, David? I agree. I think it's right. time to... Bring the car in the shop. Let's get tuned up. And when we come back, we got a spotlight. Yes, sir. Uh, we got a, a nice uh, 
spotlight and a preview of the upcoming IndyCar season. A lot more to talk about IndyCar and other subjects on the other side of this break. This is From Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Do you want a topic to be covered or guess we should have it in a future episode? Well, you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail at CKRD, the number two, GRN, at gmail.com. Your feedback drives our content for future episodes. If you like, epi- if you like the episode you are listening to, then you can listen to previous episodes at podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, and coming soon, Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. And now, back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment on this episode is the upcoming 2022 IndyCar season. A lot of moves made during the offseason, a lot of compelling storylines, and some really interesting driver team combinations this year. So David, why don't you go ahead and take it away and tell us some of the big things that you're looking for out of the IndyCar series this coming season. Well, thank you, Elliot. Well, let's actually recap the end of the IndyCar season. Now, when we talked uh, last year and before we went on our little hiatus here, we had we, we had one race left and it was Long Beach and there was a heated battle going on in the championship between Alex Pillow, Joseph Newgarden, and Pato Award. And, you know, it, it, we had discussed about the keys and who we thought we were going to win, and our, our consensus was we, we thought Pillow was going to win it. Well, Long Beach is, didn't disappoint us, and here's the reason why. Um, it got interesting in the first couple laps. When Pedo Awards chances at the championship went up in Dustin, turn 11. He was involved in an accident with Sebastian Bourdais and Calcium Eilat. Um, and because of that, um, Ward was out and essentially that handed the championship to Alex Pillow, who all he needed to do was make it to the end and not crash. And that, uh, that happened. Pal Ward came back. He went off at lap 20 off the course. And then there is an accident for Erickson in turn one that on lap 26, eventually Pedo Award um, was done by lap 45. Um, Lap 43, according to racing reference. And then there was an accident turn nine near the end, lap 62. And then it was it. Um, Colton Herta dominated the day. He led 43 laps to the win. Joseph Newgarden was second, Scott Dixon third. And your 2021 champion for IndyCar, Alex Pillow, came in fourth. Pagenaud was fifth. Rossi 6th, Harvey 7th, Bourdais 8th, Sato ninth in his final race, and Will Power was 10th was, um, 
10th. Great race. Congrats to Polo on the season. And that's how 2021 ended. We got we got a season kicked off. But before we go into the 2022 season and start that, Elliot, your thoughts about Long Beach? Yeah, it was certainly an interesting race. And we knew going into that race, because we talked about it, that the first couple of laps were going to have a huge impact on the outcome of it. And that even as far as ahead as, um, as Pelot was in the points, it was still no guarantee that he was going to win the championship because in order to finish first, you must first finish. And that applies for the championship as well as the race. And so that it was a ward that ended up on the, the bad end of the early race chaos that is somewhat typical of uh, Long Beach yeah played into Pelot's favor and he had himself a nice solid comfortable day from there on in finishing fourth and bringing home the title so um, he got the luck of a smooth first couple of laps and then he and the team just executed to do what they needed to do to bring the car home, as you said, David, just, you know, finish the race. They did that. They finished on the lead lap. They had a good solid day, fourth place, take the title. Yeah, most certainly. And that led into a very interesting off season of dry of a driver changes, team changes, every single thing. And I actually had to, I have Wikipedia pulled up right now because there were so many changes. So after Castro Nevis won the Indy 500, um, Myers Shank said, hey, you're going to go full-time. The last time Castro Nevis was full-time was 2017. It was Penske, and he won at Iowa. Then on September 14, 2021, it got very interesting. Ryan Hunter Ray, it was announced that he was not going to return to Andre Osborne. He is now doing sports car racing in NIMSA. On the 24th, his replacement got announced, and there was talk about this for the longest time, and, and we knew it was coming. Formula One sensation and, and having a great year last year, Roman Grosjean replaced Ryan Hunter Ray. Then it, then it was announced on September 27th, Simon Pagina was parting ways with Penske after seven seasons. He's driving the Meyer Schenck at entry, which meant Jack Harvey out of the ride. Then October 5th, Sato made the announcement saying, I am done with racing. He drove with... Um, the team for five seasons with Ray Hall Lemon Langan. Um, he also had stints with AJ Foyt. His career has come to an end. Two Indy 500 wins. Unbelievable for him. Then, Octo- then on October 11th, Jack Harvey um, signed a deal with Ray Hall Lemon Langan Racing for full time. In the number 45, Bordes then announces eight days later, he not he's not coming back to AJ Foyt. 
He was at St. Pete today, but he decided to sign a full-time deal to drive with Chip Ganassi Racing in IMSA. Um, he may come back part-time, but he was on the pit box as a strip. Um, supposedly, the report was today at practice. He was there just, you know, joining the race. Um, but there's talk that he may be um, helping out with uh, Foyt Racing as a strategist uh, driver coach. Uh, yet to hear if that's true or not. But then Christian Lungard uh, replaces Sato in the number 30. That deal was announced October 21st last year. Then the big news came out, and this came out a few days before. This came out. Um, there was a change at NBC that Paul Tracy was out due to he wanted to go do some more racing, and they needed a replacement. Well, there was talk that James Hinchcliffe, there was word in the water that James, that he was done with Andretti. Well, that did get announced. Um, There was a little bit more that came off that, but on November 4th, Hinchcliffe was out. Hinchcliffe gone Andre. Devlin DeFrancesco was his replacement. There was talk that Kyle Kirkwood would have been the Andretti seat. Well, that gave Kirkwood an opportunity, and Mr. A.J. Foyt signed him on November 10th. On December 9th, Sato said, um, you know what? I decided maybe I will come back to racing, and Sato um, came back, and on December 9th, he decided – I'm going to join Dale Coyne with Rick Greer and I'll drive the number 51. Um, and then December 14th, Hinchcliffe announced that he would step back full time. Um, he has now gone into the broadcasting career to replace Paul Tracy. And then 15th, Jimmy Johnson said, Hey, I'm going full time in IndyCar and I'm going for the 500 with Chip Ganassi. That leads to 2020. Connor Daly returns to Ed Carpenter Racing for the full time. He was part time in the previous. He goes full time. AJ Foyt then announces big news Tatiana Caldon is going to drive part time. She is um, going to run on road and street courses. So there will be a female competitor running an IndyCar part-time this year. And I, Elliot, I agree. Uh, you agree with me. We, we give her the, the, you know, the warmest welcome to IndyCar and let's hope she has success as she has um, in her racing career with them. And she sure. is in good hands with AJ Foyt. Yep. Um. And she tested for them. And then on February 4th, Max Chilton said, I am done with IndyCar after six seasons. Whew. Now we get some team changes. Meyer Shank goes to full time. Junko's uh, with two entries. Junko's Racing returns to Indy. Um, they are going to... Um, be full-time calcium illa uh goes to that 
Um, McLaren said uh, McLaren S or Aero McLaren SP has now taken 75% of the team. Um, and they confirmed that Award and Rosenquist are back. Uh, Montoya is going to join them in part time racing. Um, RLL with Harvey decided to say we'll have three full-time teams. Penske uh, went down to three full-time after Paginot left, did not want to fill that seat. And Ganassi um, is um, going to fill a fifth car for the Indy 500. Mr. Tony Kanan will drive that. Bassler Sullivan Parted ways from Dale Coyne after five seasons. Dreyer Rheinbold Racing is going to field two entries for Indy this year with Ferrucci and um, Karam. Dale Coyne decided to partner with HMD Motorsports and Indy, uh, with Indy Lights runner-up David Marcus as their driver. And then we got Ed Carpenter saying that it will add a third part-time team for owner-driver Ed Carpenter since Carter Daly's full-time. We did get the Tatiana Calderon announcement. Uh, we're waiting for a driver on the ovals. I don't know if that's going to be Tony Kanan. That might be where Bourdais might be going. Um, that may be why Bourdais was at St. Pete today. Um and Carlin ended their racing program um, and entered a technical alliance with Junko's Hunger Racing. So uh, we got Iowa back this year. And, um, you know, Texas and Detroit are now single car races uh, rather than double. Toronto's back on the schedule. St. Pete is your opener, and it starts this weekend. Texas is now going to be held in March, which is going to be very interesting because they are going up against March Madness weekend, uh, the, fir the first weekend. Long Beach is back in April, and Detroit said on November 3rd that um, – 2022 is the final race at Belle Isle. Next year, it will be a street course. Elliot, that is the changes. We'll get into the schedule a little bit, but going through all those changes, what do you think and what are you looking forward to? And I'll, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to in a moment. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Grosjean, Roman Grosjean, compete for a title this year. He proved that he had the capability and the speed and the metal to compete and win in IndyCar. And I think that was um, a huge moment for him in his career, especially coming off of um, a very tough ending to his career in Formula One and now joining forces with Andretti Autosport. I mean, to me, he has to be the odds on favorite 
for the title this year. I mean, obviously you have Dixon, you have Pelo, um, you know, Pelo being the reigning champion there and, you know, Ganassi, they've always, they always bring strong cars. So, um, so that's going to be, you know, they're, they're certainly going to be contenders too, but Grosjean with Andretti, I think that's, that's going to be a combination that's going to do some big, big things this year. Um, AJ Foyt, um, I'm not looking for too, too much out of Colette. Um, Calderon, I hope she does terrific. Um, and that's a, a big step forward for her, you know, really stacked rookie class this year um, across a whole bunch of different teams. Um, and AJ Foyt with two of them, uh, with Kyle Kirkwood and Calderon, um, DeFrancisco at um, Andretti Steinbrenner, Malukas at Dale Coyne, Callum Illot at uh, Junkos, and Lundgaard at Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. Um, now it's important to remember, like you said, Calderon only runs the road courses. Uh, the remainder are going to run the full schedule. So of those, um, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to say, uh, I think Lundgaard might uh, might get it done this year um, for Rookie of the Year. Obviously, you've got Ed Carpenter racing too. You got Renus VK and Connor Daly coming back this year. Mm-hmm. They're going to be solid. Um, but um, as far as uh, the Dale Coyne entries this year, you've got Malukas, and then um, according to Wikipedia, you got Takuma Sato coming back yeah. in the 51 car. So um, that could be an interesting combination. I could see, in particular, Sato. Um, I could see that either yielding three or four race wins in a championship contention or a whole bunch of DNFs and that whole thing ending horribly. We'll see what happens. Um, for their sake, I hope it's the former. But um, And then you've got Team Bensky as well. Uh, you got... New Garden, who's um, always really strong, had some really bad luck at points last year. Um, Will Power, who genuinely could not buy a break to save his life, and McLaughlin, too. So um, and I could see them doing some big things this year. I mean, you know, like we talked about last segment, uh, you know, Team Penske on the NASCAR side, they've come out swinging um, with uh, winning Daytona. So it's entirely possible you could see them do some big things this year too. But um, I think uh, at the end of it, I think Grosjean's going to do some big things this year. I'm looking for some big things from him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Grosjean's going to be a favorite. I could see him going for the title. Um, I, um, you know, Ganassi, I mean, has won the past two championships and I'm not going to count out Dixon or Polo. I think they're going to be good. I don't, I'd like to see what happens with Jimmy Johnson this year, but I just don't know if that's going to be going to work out. Erickson's good. Um, you know, Ganassi's got a strong stable Andretti, I think, is good. I think Colton Hurst got something to prove this year, too. I think they're going to be the two favorites out Andretti and the ones up front. Um, I agree with you about Foyt. Um, 
I still, I, I'm leaning towards, I think just seeing Bourdais at practice say, I think Bourdais is going to go into that oval portion. Um, let's see. I mean, you got, you know, dry Reinbold's only shooting for Indy. Ed Carpenter's only shooting for Indy this year. I think Castor Nevis, I think, um, he, sh- he could show some problem as him and Paginal might shake to be a competitor. And I'm not going to cut out Penske either. Um, I, I think Penske can, can bounce back and, you know, New Garden could have had the championship last year if Polo would have crashed. So, I mean, it's, you know, Penske's always in there. So, yeah, I've, I'd like to see that. But the question I've got to ask you is we look at the schedule and we're circling May 29th for the Indy 500. Does, and I say it, does Helio Castroneves become a sole member of the five-time club? I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, you know, last year he had, I think, the benefit of not having raced to that point. Um, and I say benefit because um, he came into that race fresh, right? Um, he didn't have, you know, all of the, the races to that point of the season uh, wearing him down as others in the field might have. So I think that may have been to his benefit and also allowed him to focus specifically on that one race. So all of those things worked in his favor. Now, with that said, going into this year, running the full schedule, it certainly has its potential. Yeah. It's too early to say whether or not Mayor Shank is going to have the, the speed again this year going into the race, into the 500. But, um, you know, they've got a, a, a really solid team there between him and Paginot. Um, they could do some, they could continue to do some big things there. And, you know, uh, having learned my lesson from last year, I'm not going to rule Castro Neves out. I mean, I uh, certainly will want to at least see all of the, the practices, all of the qualifying before, you know, we, we get to that place and how the team does overall going into that race too. That'll be yeah. certainly interesting to watch too. But um, but certainly they've got a chance. I, I think he's got a chance for sure. And I, it'll be interesting to see when it comes closer, the practices, the qualifications, um, you know, but I think there's going to be a lot of eyes glued on to Castro Nevis this year because now they're going to want to see history. Just like when Foyt was running. You know, are we going to see history made when Mears was running? You know, is that, hit? you know, could he repeat? And I think it's going to be very interesting this year. Now, looking at the races, um, the, the schedule, and we've got a few minutes left in the segment. So I want to touch on two thoughts. Uh, one announcement that came today in the schedule Besides Indy, what race are you looking forward to this year? Ah, that's a a good question. Part of me, from a, a 
nostalgia standpoint is looking forward to seeing them go back to Toronto, go back to the exhibition place. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always a fun race. And you know, Nashville, I mean, we talked about how much, uh, you know, how unique and exciting that race was last year. And so given the, the benefit and experience of having run a race there, coming back to it, that one could be really exciting too. So I'm uh, those two in particular, um, I'm paying attention to. Long Beach is obviously going to be its thing. The 500 is going to be its, its thing too. But um, I think of of the you know the the non major events. I think those are the two that I'm paying attention to. Yeah, I I I mean Toronto for sure because they just haven't been there uh, since COVID, and they're back. You know, it's two years, it's trial, it's an amazing track, and I think it's just really good to see that. Um, I'm looking forward to the doubleheader in Iowa this year. Um, That that should be fun. I think the doubleheaders are really good, and um, to see Iowa essentially a bull ring that they're just fast on is and it's always produced amazing racing there. So that I'm looking forward to. They they have great racing at Worldwide Technology Raceway, and Nashville. Yeah, I I think will be interesting to see. Um, we'll see if Erickson can um. um beat his um high jump record again this year yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that was certainly interesting last year for sure yeah um well we know that um if indycar doesn't pan out he can always try for the olympic team that is true um so speaking of things starting to pan out are interesting um, it, it came today, and I just want to touch a base on it a few minutes, and, and this is going to be a developing story throughout the year, so we're going to talk about more and more in the podcast um, throughout the year um, as we get details break and we start to hear more, but it, um, there was an article the other day on racer.com um, that Mario Andretti um, is going to pursue a Formula One team in 2024. It, uh, Michael Andretti, I mean, Mario Andretti was the one who said it, um, his dad, but he tried, uh, Michael tried you last year for Alpine racing, and what held it up was that they weren't going to give him full control. So that was it. So now he's trying, he's applying for 2024 and it came out today during the St. Petersburg practice. It was confirmed that he was going to do it. And it was, he had said it, but it was also confirmed that Colton heard us in on this. So this is going to be very interesting because if Herta's in on this, that means if this all, everything falls right, Colton Herr has two more years in IndyCar before he goes to F1. 
Um, I think this is going to, um, my thoughts is, I think this is interesting. We know the Andres are, have been associated with F1. Mario Andre ran it in the 70s and 80s. He won the championship in 78. He would, um, he would have to start from the rear at the Indy 500 due to um, having someone else qualify his car because he had to be in Monaco or something. Um, so, and we know Michael Andretti left kind of did the swap where he went to F1 and Nigel Mansell came here in 1993. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this pans out, but um, I, I wonder how this will affect Andretti Autosport come 2024. Um, because it will take a lot of resources to be competitive in F1. But if her if Herta's in on this, um, does this mean that eventually Grosjean goes back to F1? Or do they pluck another IndyCar driver? Um, so many questions to answer, but my thought is I think this is going to be very interesting to see what happens. And I, I can't wait to see where this goes. Elliot, your thoughts on this before we go to break. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly a really interesting development. Um, it would be huge to see Andretti move into formula one as a team owner, um, and expand the American footprint in formula one, uh, Haas being the other team as well. I question whether or not, to your point, David, I question whether or not you would see Grosjean make a, a return to Formula One. I think those days have kind of come and gone for him, and he seems to be very happy racing in the IndyCar series and racing and living in the United States. He seems to really enjoy it. So I think you're going to see uh, other drivers step into um, into that role. And let's also not forget, there's a really active pipeline um, through Formula 2, Formula 3000, uh, a lot of the, uh, the open wheel series, uh, the, the feeder series in, in Europe as well, um, that might be uh, ripe with talent for Andretti to choose from as well. How that's going to impact Andretti going through the rest of 22 and 23, um, especially with any news or rumors about whether or not they've signed the Concord agreement or not, that's going to be a thing. And then once they do, uh, you know, who their drivers are going to be, where they're going to base their, their teams from, uh, and, you know, just all the, the questions about getting that end of things set up while they're still racing in IndyCar, that's going to be, um, a real test for them to be able to keep their focus, um, and a, um, uh, in an arrangement that, quite frankly, I don't think anybody else has done thus far um, in at least an open wheel. Um, you know, we've seen uh, Haas do something akin to this, uh, you know, with Stuart Haas on the NASCAR side and then uh, uh, building a team on the Formula One side too. But in terms of IndyCar to Formula One, um, 
this is certainly this would certainly be unprecedented so yeah. it'll be um interesting to watch and for andretti's sake if they do then i hope it goes very smoothly for them yeah it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that so with that said we've we've talked about indycar we've actually got a break coming up and elliot on the uh, in the green segment, we've got two races to preview this weekend, the Cup Series and IndyCar. This is From Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Are you looking for that competitive edge for your business or event? Samurai Graphics can design your logo, business card, letterhead, invitation, and flyers for business or event. Samurai Graphics accepts different forms of payments and will give you that competitive edge you need. Contact Samurai Graphics on Facebook or at SamuraiGraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business solution. Now, back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, Elliot. So this weekend, our green segment is focusing on two races, the second cup race of the season at Auto Club Speedway and IndyCar for the first time in, uh, from that I've ever known is kicking off racing this weekend at St. Pete's down in Florida. Their season begins. So Elliot, Let's talk about all club first and let's go through it. Um, you want to lead on this one? Absolutely. So going into this race, um, you know, it's the first non-restrictor plate event of the, um, season. Of the 2022 season. 36 entries lined up for this race and going to be very interesting, I think, um, to see which teams do well. This is, you know, the first um, that's the first time the quote unquote, well, what I term it as the medium down, uh, medium horsepower, low downforce package is rolled out onto the racetrack. Um, recalling the previous high down, uh, high horsepower package of being, I think in the neighborhood of 750 horsepower and the low horsepower package of 550. Um, the package for all non-restricted play tracks, except Atlanta is about 670 horsepower this year. So it'll be very interesting to see these cars on a wide, flat, two-mile track that they have not been to in a couple of years. You talked about Toronto and COVID, David. Um, Fontana, very much the same thing. Uh, the team's unable to race there um, since 2019. So um, we'll certainly be very interesting to see how that all does actually no since 2020 i think they were able to yeah. get the west coast swing in so yeah they got because um, they stopped short atlanta very good thank you so it'll be certainly be interesting to watch and see how um how this does just looking at th what limited data we have going into this race um certainly the gibbs cars i think are going to be fast they were fast at the clash of the coliseum they were fast at daytona Team Penske has been fast um, at both events with Logano winning 
at Los Angeles and Cindric winning at Daytona. So they're going from the slowest to the slow to the fast to the fast, and they're taking the checkers and, and going both ways. So I think they're going to be pretty strong too. The six and the 17, they have the potential to be quick too. Um, you know, they've definitely showed a lot of speed during uh, Daytona. So it'll be interesting to see how, how they do too. And the Hendrick cars were not racing in packs no more. And, you know, they've shown themselves to have single car speed at the very least. And also, you know, they, they showed their toughness at Los Angeles too. So the big teams might, might show out here. It's too early to say, and there's too little data to suggest, well, how are some of these other teams going to do? How are, how's Trackhouse going to do or JTG or, um, uh, Rick Ware, Petty Enterprise. It's still too early to say with them. And it'll be very interesting to see. There's there's going to be a lot of, I think this, this weekend's going to be pretty telling about who the main players are going to be this coming year. Yeah, most certainly. And, and you got to think, you know, they're going into a um, new format this year. You know, practice is back, qualifying is back. They change up the qualifying rules. But, you know, looking at the entry list, you know, Elliot, I agree. You know, we just don't have enough data yet. I mean, we went to the Coliseum. We went to Daytona. Now we're going into these cookie cutter tracks. So, you know, we just don't know how the car's going to be. Now is it good? Now is Ford going to continue their dominance? Is Penske going to you know back up what they've done in the previous two races? Yeah, you know they, they could very well be, but you're, you're right. You know you can't count out Hendrick. You can't cut out the. You can't count out the Gibbs guys. Heck, I won't even count out Bubba Wallace. I mean. He's got Kurt Busch, and that's the thing that's been Kurt Busch's teammates is anywhere Kurt Busch has gone, after his mess up with Penske years ago, and he got out, and, and he was out of it, he started to bring something to teams he was at. When he was with Stuart Haas, he helped them better. When he was with Ganassi, he helped them better, got him to win. And I think he does that with 23XI. And I think that might help Bubba and Kirk Bush to be favorites this weekend. You know, I, I just, you know, I got to see what practice is going to be. You know, we're, we're going back to practice. I want to see what this new qualifying format is going to be like this year. And, you know, where they've got group A and group B. And then... They're going to have two rounds, and then, you know, what is it? Is it A on one side, B on the other? Or I, I can't remember how that goes um, with, with the qualifying format, but that's different this year. Um, you know, you still have the stage races, 65, 130, 200 are the, sta you know, are the stages. I just, I mean... I don't know. No one's going to miss the race. They'll have a full field. So I, I just think it's going to be very interesting this year to see what happens at California, especially with the car too. 
Yeah, and we're going to have some more to talk about that in our, our final thoughts here. But, um, but yeah, he makes some really good points about Kurt Busch. And, um, you know, he had a, a pretty solid Daytona, um, you know, got caught up in a wreck there late. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly matured and gained a lot of experience in a lot of different ways uh, throughout his NASCAR career. And this will be, I think, pretty telling to see, you know, how he's going to do and um, how he's impacting the entire program, including his teammate, the 23 of Bubba Wallace. So um, it will certainly be very interesting to see what happens uh, this coming weekend. Most certainly. But that's not the only action we've got coming up this weekend. We've got IndyCar racing, too, and the St. Petersburg um, Florida, the first home Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, they actually started practice today. And Elliot, we were talking about Roman Grosjean, and he was the fastest of the board 106, 138. He ran 14 laps. That was Colton Hurra, Will Paro, Simon Paginaw, Graham Rahal, Alexander Rossi. Jack Harvey, Scott McLaughlin, Reyes VK, and David Malkus rounding out your top 10. Castro Nevis, 11th. Newgarn, 14th. Um, Sato, 18th. Jimmy Johnson, 24th. Um, uh, Tatiana Calderon was 26th. A little bit difficult because they did say they don't practice like this in the evening uh, when the sun's going down. Um, So the sun kind of was playing into it, but um, I think it's going to be a a very interesting race. A hundred laps, 180 miles. It's a 1.8, 14 turn, five lefts, nine right circuit. Uh, through the streets of St. Petersburg, which includes a section of the runway of Albert Whitted Airport, according to IndyCar.com. Um, description is long front stretch, which is the runway, tight right-hander into turn one, the quick um, left-hand turn, large Lions since happened in turn one. I will say that there are teams that will lose the race, but you got two long straightaways, heavy breaking zones. Elliot, looking at this, knowing that they're back at St. Petersburg and looking at the, um, you know, looking at the, the spotter's guide here, who do you think? is going to be the favorite for IndyCar this year at, at St. Petersburg. Who, who are you, who you think is going to win it? Well, uh, certainly, you know, Andretti's proving themselves to be a solid so far, but um, Will Powers right there too. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually really impressive how close together the, especially the top three, top four um, were in this first practice. Yeah, um, certainly. I think the the twelve of power has a lot to prove this year. He started to kind of get things back together late last year, um, and but he's he's got a lot more to prove at the start of this year. I think so. I'm gonna say that the twelve is is gonna be one of the is 
going to be the favorite, if not one of one of the favorites um, on Sunday. I think it's going to be, I, I, I agree. I think power, um, I'm not going to put it past Herda nor Grosjean either. I think, I think you're going to, I think your winner's going to come out of that. Um, we'll see how Palou and Dixon do, but this is a track that kind of favors more the Penske guys and, and dry guys. So I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to come from one of those teams this weekend, but you know, it is St. Petersburg. So I, I think it, you know, it's always a thrilling race and I think it's going to be some good racing and it's on at 12 PM. So you can watch that. And by the time it ends, you flip on Fox and watch NASCAR. That works. Yeah. So I think I, I, you know, now we're getting into the full swing of racing. Yes, we are. So with that said, David, let's go ahead and jump into our final thoughts for this episode. Um, And we're both kind of thinking along the same lines and uh, paying attention to some of the headlines that um, have come out of, uh, that came out of NASCAR um, after Daytona. Um, And to be clear, you know, we're, um, keeping a close eye on, on other events, um, in particular, everything going on with, uh, with Ukraine and, uh, impacts that may be having on the, the, uh, motorsports community abroad. Um, and we'll have more to say on that in, in coming episodes as, um, additional information comes out. But, um, to finish this episode up, we wanted to talk about Daytona and what, um, uh, uh some events that were, were notable during the race and then afterwards too and before. Um, and that had to do with um, uh, some penalties that came out and didn't come out regarding wheels and tires. And in particular, uh, to give a, uh, a little background, um, on the Friday before the 500, NASCAR announced that they had confiscated the wheels of the RFK teams, the 6 and the 17, as well as Team Penske, the to the 12 and the 22 um, on concerns about that the pinholes had been, may have been modified. Um, and Brad Keselowski came right out um, in a subsequent uh, interview and said, yes, we had done some work on the pinholes, but we had a safety concern and we have data to back it up. We've met with NASCAR, we provided them with this data. So we'll just see where things go from there. And there seemed to be an expectation in the garage that the teams would incur a pretty significant penalty because of that and because of NASCAR having made the statement before the season that anybody that was caught uh, illegally modifying uh, these uh, single source vendor parts, which include wheels, would incur significant penalties to the point of unprecedented penalties. So... There were definitely a lot of eyes on that, but during the 500 itself, there were some problems with the wheels uh, and the 12 of Ryan Blaney happened to be one of them having uh, an issue on a pit stop, getting, I believe it was getting a tire off of the car. Um, And then in addition to that, you had the 50 car, uh, a wheel fell off of it during the race and the 31, 
it was tough to say if it, there was a wheel failure or um, a wheel fell off of that car as well. Well, uh, at the end of Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, NASCAR came out and announced that they had penalized the number 50 and the number 31, uh, the Money Motorsports and College Racing teams, respectively, for the wheels falling off of their cars during the Daytona 500. What that means is that uh, the crew chief for each of those teams, and I believe uh, the tire changer, um, uh, David, help me um, with this, but uh, there were um, some yeah, four-way suspensions handed out. Yeah, I think it's the tire changers as well. Okay. Um, so, but what was also notable is that no penalties were handed down to the RFK or Penske teams. Um, and there was a further announcement made, I believe, that they had uh, done some some investigation into this and that they were um, going to make some changes to the uh, the pinholes for this coming race at Fontana. So David, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, what these events mean um, and what um, what they may portend going forward. Well, I I gotta say is I mean the um, thirty one. Uh, the actual, the, the wheel broke, um, which called it fall off. The rim actually ended up breaking. Um, but I just, I mean, I, I know with RFK that, you know, they told NASCAR they were going to do this. Okay, fine. But then, you know, RFK Penske, so we're going to do this fine. Okay. Uh, but Blaney had an issue trying to get the wheel on. Grella loses a wheel. Haley has this wheel bust. And out of it, two, the 50 and the 31 get, get, the, get penalized. And RFK and Penske are clean as a whistle. And now they're implementing this, you know, hey, we're going to test this at California. Meet back after. If it works, okay, fine. We're going to change the rule. Um, what bothers me is the, the penalty that those two teams got, because if they change the rule, I think they need to appeal it. Um, I don't know if the 50 will appeal it because they're not full-time, but colleague might. Colleague might go appeal it, and I think they should because of it. I don't think that... You know, this is a new car we're learning. You got to give a curve here somewhere. You know, I know you got to be hard. And they said, oh, we're going to crack down on this. But it wasn't a modification that something happened that the wheel couldn't get on. And if it is because of these pinholes, then that may be a good argument. And I think what NASCAR needs to do is they, you know, they have cameras focused on these pit stops and they see what happens. They need to look back at it and, and see what happened. But, you know, we'll, we'll see with that. But you and I were mentioning, I agree. You got to do something um, 
you mentioned before we started tonight about them losing a wheel at California. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. I agree with that. So I think with them modifying it, it's great that they're addressing that and they're trying to take care of a concern. But at the same time, you just embarrassed two teams and one who may or may not run the entire season who, you know, what are you going to do for that? Um, if they don't run four race, you know, four more races and two Haley and Cullig racing, who is a good team. Um, We're running the full schedule. Yeah. So why would, you know, what is going to go on with that? It's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, I think so. Um, Now, to be clear, the four race suspensions that were handed down um, are not unique to this year. That's not a a rule that was passed for this year that it's, it's been around for, for a little while now, at least. Well, Um, yeah. When, with the lug nuts. Well, that and just the um, um, the rule that if a tire falls off a car during a race, a wheel falls off during during the race, that it's a four week suspension. Mm-hmm. That specific rule has been around for a little bit now. To your point, David, this is precisely why there is an appeals process to penalties that are handed down. Yeah. The four race suspensions that were handed down to the fifty and to the thirty one were due to wheels falling off the car during the race. So to me, those penalties are consistent with precedent. Now, the appeals process may determine, also to your point, and most definitely framed against um, the issues that were had during the 500 by them and others, as well as what Team Penske and what RFK did in the days immediately prior to the 500. All of that information may yield a successful appeal for both of those teams. And I think it, it, it very well may. So there's that. Um, now, looking forward to Fontana, um, you know, it was pretty obvious, I think, after the 500 that they needed to act and mm-hmm. to, to fix this because there was clearly a problem. And the RFK and Penske cars clearly identified this problem and attempted to um, offer a fix and made a fix on their cars. And to NASCAR's credit, it appears as though they have uh, implemented either this fix or something related to it heading into this weekend's race. Yeah. And this is, I mean, it's, it's obviously of paramount importance um, for specifically for safety, especially for safety. And this goes beyond, um, you know, any business concerns or anything else. You cannot have these cars flying off into turn one at over 200 miles an hour, which I think they're going to do. I think you're going to see that um, speedometer that they had on the big screen going into turn one that they did in the years prior to the low down, uh, low horsepower package being implemented there. Um, 
I think you're you're going to see that make a return, and I think you're going to see some big numbers out of it, um, especially if the speed deltas in the corners are such that they can downshift, remembering that they have five gears in these cars now sequentially. Yeah, and be able to drop into fourth gear, maybe even third. Who knows? Um, in order to get a little better launch off of the corners. And that, especially on new tires, I think we're going to see some pretty big straightaway speeds. So it was beyond important to have this right going into Fontana. Hopefully for everybody's sake, they have. And we're not going to see any more issues with this going into Fontana. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is beyond a, a business thing. It, this this is a safety thing. You cannot have tires flying off of these cars. Um, yeah. It's it's going to be tremendously unsafe. It's going to put people, um, you know, both drivers and spectators alike, um, at risk. If not, you know, in addition to those concerns, you know, it, it um, could have a ripple ripple effect um, on the business end of things too, and certainly have a um, you know pretty significant dent in the positive momentum that the sport is trying to build. And they've done a really good job of building thus far this year. Um, the ratings came out for Daytona. I think they were really, really solid. I forget the exact numbers offhand, um, but uh, the, the numbers were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly better than they've been in previous years. So there's a lot of positive momentum that's happening for the series going into Fontana. Yeah. They need to keep it going and it's getting this, this wheel issue right is critical to that. So here's hoping they have, and we're going to be talking about the racing on the track and not this um, in our next episode. Here's hoping. Oh yeah. And I agree. I think it's, I mean, I I think seeing what happened at Daytona definitely raised concern um, because if it didn't happen, who knows if they would make this role. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, let's, let's hope for good racing this weekend um, in both series and, you know, we're we're just starting to roll here indeed so a lot of racing to see this weekend Um, should be really exciting can't wait to talk about it in episode number 35 Um, this is Elliot Tardif saying thank you for your listenership Um, and you know this is a a quick aside Um, you know we are mindful of everything that's happening in the world right now um, and what's happening in Ukraine and Um, I wish the very best for the the good people of Ukraine and everybody that's being displaced and everybody that's being hurt and killed for no real reason. Hopefully there is an end to these hostilities and soon. Um, I'm David Moy. We thank you for your your listenership and going along with the ride for us on this episode. And, you know, just to echo thoughts and prayers with with the people in Ukraine but with the world at this moment because tense situation right now and thoughts and prayers that you know things will will get better um 
No, and that also goes with COVID too. It looks like we're we're turning the curve on that. So we're going to look forward to talking with you next week on episode 35. This is From Checker to Green, the podcast. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.